Hello and welcome. My name is Alice and this is the Backtracker History Show podcast, where I ask you to join me on a meander down through the archives to find out more about the people, places and events from the past. Most of these podcasts have been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. And one of the great things about this podcast is that I can go into more detail about each story because there are no time constraints. And it's really easy to show your support just by spreading the word, leaving reviews and sharing with all your family and friends. It really does help. If you want to get in touch with me with show ideas, comments or information, you can via Twitter or Facebook by using at UK the capital B, capital T and a capital UK or emailing me at info at backtracker.co.uk Now, on with the show. Today's tale occurred in 1920 but what else happened that year? Well, On January the 10th, the Treaty of Versailles takes effect, officially ending World War I. On February the 17th, a woman named Anna Henderson tries to commit suicide in Berlin and is taken to a mental hospital where she claims she is Grand Duchess Anastasia of Russia. On March the 25th, during the Irish War of Independence, British recruits to the Royal Irish Constabulary begin to arrive in Ireland They became known from their improvised uniforms as the Black and Tans. On September 5th, Mahatma Gandhi launches the non-cooperation movement in India with the goal of obtaining independence from British rule. And on November 11th in London, the cenotaph is unveiled and the unknown warrior is buried in Westminster Abbey, while in Paris, the tomb of the unknown soldier is consecrated beneath the Arc de Triomphe. The idea of a tomb of the unknown warrior was first conceived in 1916 by the Reverend David Railton, who, while serving as an army chaplain on the Western Front, had seen a grave marked with a rough cross which bore the pencil-written legend, an unknown British soldier. But today's story concerns a woman who passed away in the Bristol Royal Infirmary and became a celebrity not only in life, but also in death. In 1920, most people employed in the factories and offices of central Bristol worked on Saturdays. The lucky ones only had to work Saturday mornings and were especially keen to knock off at lunchtime on Saturday, October 2nd, 1920. Despite the rain, which got worse as the day went on, large crowds gathered outside the Bristol Royal Infirmary and on Whitson Street, close to the entrance to the hospital mortuary. Thousands gathered at other vantage points particularly Lower Magdalen Street and down on Bristol Bridge. The people who gathered to watch lovely Lucy's last journey were then hoping to see her final performance as a novelty act. As they waited, they speculated with one another as to how large exactly the coffin would be. When the motor hearse carrying the coffin covered with a cross made of the most beautiful flowers and the funeral cars finally began their journey to Arnisvale Cemetery, They had difficulty 
getting through the huge number of sightseers. Police found it hard trying to keep the roads clear enough for the cortege to get through. People were even trying to climb onto the hearse to get a better view of the coffin. At some point in the 20th century, funerals stopped being a public spectacle in Bristol. But in 1920, the send-off of some wealthy businessmen or civic dignitary was a major public spectacle, all part of the extravagant and complex mourning rituals which were observed when one of the great and the good had died. Lucy Moore had been, according to her own publicity, the prettiest, handsomest and heaviest lady in the world. And we have to presume that many of those who turned out to see her off were not so much paying her last respects as just hoping for some sort of spectacle as they would have expected had they gone to see her at a fairground. Word of the Week And for this week's word, I give you... Griffin Age, which means illegible handwriting. In comparison to other funerals of the time, this was something very different. This was a funeral of Lucy Moore, a mixed-race American woman and one of the most remarkable and enigmatic celebrities who ever lived in Bristol. Her whole life shrouded in mystery and myth. Lucy Moore, a.k.a. the Jersey Lily, a.k.a. the American Fat Girl, or, to use the stage name the Bristol newspapers favoured, lovely Lucy, claimed to be the fattest woman in the world. She had made a career on the stage as a fairground sideshow and at one stage was said to weigh almost 48 stone. In a small biographical pamphlet, she appeared to offer a reward of £1,000 to anyone who could produce a woman heavier than her. Although, if you read it carefully, it's hedged with some legalese that would have got her out of it. It was... £1,000 given to any person or persons who can produce a female of my age and weight. Lucy Moore died at the age of 43, following a long battle with cancer, during which she had lost over half her weight. Nonetheless, the coffin was wider and longer than most, and eight men were needed to carry it from the mortuary to the hearse. The crowd, said the Western Daily Press, while expecting a spectacle, were nonetheless respectful. There was an attitude of reverence, and hats and caps were doffed freely along the route to the cemetery. The burial records at Arnus Vale gave her name as Eliza Elizabeth Moore, and during her career she also went by the name Alma Moore, while her original name may well have been Anna Chelton. She was born in Lexington, Kentucky, to a black American mother and white English father. She was born a normal size, but rapidly put on weight as a child, and by the age of 12, she was said to have weighed over 27 stone. She was professionally fat by 17, appearing at circuses and freak shows in the United States. Her weight was all the more remarkable, considering that she was very average for a woman, five feet, four inches tall. In a good many cases of fat people, you find the flesh soft and flabby caused by disease, dropsy being the most common complaint. If you have not noticed the solidity and firmness of Miss Moore's flesh, pay a return visit and convince yourself that she is in reality 
a mountain of solid humanity. The Big Bristol to London the Stroll. The Big Bristol to London Stroll. The Big Bristol to London Stroll. As keen as I am to do this massive walk, it's summer in England and the weather is patchy at best. So unfortunately, it's too wet outside, even for me. But don't worry, normal service will resume next week, weather permitting. In a biographical pamphlet published for Lucy Moore's shows, it said she was touring Europe by the early 1900s and appeared before many crowned heads. Much of this may well be exaggerated, just old-fashioned fairground showmanship, along the same lines as the publicity that you get in showbiz nowadays. It must have been the same with her occasional use of a stage name, the Jersey Lily, which was the nickname of her more famous showbiz contemporary, Lily Langtry. It's actually quite difficult to find references of her in the UK press in the early 20th century, where you would at least expect to see her name featured in the small print of adverts for fairs and musicals. It seems likely that she only played a small part as a minor sideshow, and she might not even have worked in shows biz at all until relatively later in her life. From the age of 17, she was on exhibition, first with Avery's Museum in Cincinnati, and then on tour in Europe, particularly in Germany and the UK, where she, of course, caused a sensation and appeared on several occasions before royalty. She was said to travel with her own bedroom and living suite. The only big thing I could find was from a Bournemouth newspaper in 1917, just three years before her death. Her appearance in the town was meant to be an upmarket affair, as the reporter makes clear. To see a photo of this lady really conveys no idea of her actual size. The writer who attended one of the receptions given each day was particularly impressed with Miss Moore's small hands and feet, compared with the proportion of her body. It is hoped that this exhibition will not be confused with the more common shows usually associated with country fairs. On the contrary, Anyone may see this lady giant without fear of meeting or hearing anything coarse or offensive. Lucy Moore's life is full of mystery, not least why she settled in Bristol at an address on Constitution Hill. According to one press report, she wanted to retire from public life and it may be that she came here to live with her sister, Annie Moore, described by the newspapers of the time as a woman of colour. Perhaps her weight had caused her health problems, which predated her final illness, and she needed to be looked after. When she became ill, six weeks before her death, nine men were needed to carry her to the ambulance, while her bed at the Bristol Royal Infirmary had to be reinforced by support planks. Anyway, for all the attention she had in life, it seemed unlikely she had much money left by the time she died, as she was buried in a common grave at Arnus Vale, with no headstone and no memorial. She spent her final weeks at the BRI, where her weight caused a lot of problems, but where we are told she endured her illness cheerfully and the medical staff were able to leave 
some of her pain. At Anna's veil, a rainstorm swept in as her coffin was lowered, watched by another huge crowd as well as the principal mourners, including her sister Annie and her former manager, Mr. G. W. Langdon and his family. The service was led by Reverend J. Stern of St. Peter's Clifton, who had known Miss Moore well during her time in Bristol. He said it had become a great privilege to minister to her. Mr. Brian Chambers from Stoke Gifford needs help with a hide-and-seek tournament he's trying to organise. He says the problem is that good players are hard to find. Back in the day facts. On the 10th of July, 1553, Jane Grey was proclaimed Queen of England. She was forced to abdicate nine days later, was arrested and then beheaded. On the 11th of July in 1959, US singer and musician Suzanne Vega was born. On the 13th of July, 1955, Welsh murderess Ruth Ellis was hanged. She was the last woman to receive the death penalty in the UK. On the 14th of July in 1789, the people of Paris stormed the Bastille, the state prison. The prisoners held there, just seven in number, were released and the governor was captured and killed. This historic event is generally regarded as the beginning of the French Revolution, which led to the overthrow of the monarchy and the birth of the Republic. On the 15th of July in 1099, the Crusaders captured Jerusalem. And on the 16th of July in 1948, the prototype of the first turboprop aircraft, the Vickers Viscount, took its maiden flight. I hope you enjoyed today's tale about Lucy Moore. She's just a character that intrigued me. And for all the fame that she had at the time, not much is known about her now. And here's the moment when I thank the real stars of the show for making me look good. And today we have Catherine Ayres from Bradley Stoke Radio, Carrie Ball from St. Stephen's Drama Group in Bristol, and Garrett Odell from the Ever Trending Story podcast. Thank you, one and all. You have been listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. Now, this podcast has been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. If you liked it, please leave a rating and maybe a comment. If you didn't, well, let's just leave it at that, shall we? I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me via Twitter or Facebook using at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. Or, alternatively, you can email me at info at backtracker.co.uk. By the way, the tune in the background, that's by The Model Folk. You can find out more about them at themodelfolk.com. 
So thank you so much for listening. And until next time, guys, take care and look after each other.